like Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello. Hello. <laughs> a, a hugely probo movie on retrospect. Yeah, it d- has not held up well. No. Um, anyway, hi everyone. Welcome to our episode 15 of Chronically Fully Sick. Uh, before we begin, uh, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording today on the stolen lands of the Aeora and Kulin Nations. Sovereignty was never ceded and this was and always will be Aboriginal land. That's right. It's episode 15 of Chronically Fully Sick. I am Joanna Nilsson, the concierge of the elegant Majestic Hotel with inspectors due for a surprise (laughs) visit. The Majestic's owner, Chloe Sargent, is putting extra pressure on me to keep the establishment running flawlessly, (laughs) hoping to be rewarded with some time off work to relax with my sons, my many sons. (laughs) I vowed to put the utmost care into my duties, a task that is being complicated by one guest's unruly light fingered orangutan dunstan if you want to get updates on us and the chronically fully sick podcast you can do that on twitter at chronically fully sick instagram at chronically oh no i fucked it up again chloe yes, you just do it every time you can follow us on twitter at chronic full sick and instagram at chronically fully sick <laughs> You can get in touch with us via our website, chronicallyfullysick.com. We do have a group on Facebook called Chronically Fully Sick, which is filled with lovely spoonies who chat about all things chronic illness. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe because we, as always, are very talented and professional podcasters. (laughs) Please do it or else Joe's going to bash you. Yeah, that's the only thing we have. That's the only (laughs) thing we have. (laughs) And you still don't do it. Yeah, no, it's disgusted. Yeah, horrifying, disgusted. We've been gone a while, haven't we? We have. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus, um, Mm. and we would uh, say sorry for that, but we're not going to because um, we know that you know anyone listening to this podcast understands more than anyone that when someone needs to take time to prioritize their health, they gotta. So you know, you guys get that. And uh, thank. Like, also, can I just insert something here? If you want us to podcast like all the time, if you're like a sugar daddy with a sick kind of fetish for for ill women and you want to sponsor <laughs> us to do this instead oh of us God. having to work full time, like be my guest. Oh As God, Chloe said, like... it's chronicallyfullysick at gmail.com. I welcome those emails. Yes. I feel like a, a fetish for ill women is very like, What's that, like Munchausen's by proxy or whatever? Like, it's very uh, bordering on that. Well, it's kind of like, it reminds me of Edgar Allan Poe, who obviously was jonesing for his, like, cousin that had consumption and was, Classic. like, really, you know, he seemed to have a boner for illness, although that's quite a goth thing. Anyway, please mm. continue. <laughs> so, look, we've, we've had a bit of a hiatus. It's been a bit of a, uh, let's just say a roller coaster of a month. Month? Two months. Month. Two months, six months, mm. just existence. It's been a roller coaster of existence. So before we uh, delve into everything, we are going to do a bit of a uh, trigger warning before we begin. Uh, trigger warning for what we're about to talk about. Uh, trigger warning for suicide, for trauma, and for trauma surrounding chronic illness. And yeah, a trigger warning for 
death. So mm. if, that, if that's something that is going to distress you in any way, maybe um, head off now and come back to the podcast a little bit later. But um, yes. Yeah, so I wanted to say at the top of the show, um, I wanted to acknowledge the death of our beloved Daphne Camp, who appeared on a really early episode of our podcast. I think it was episode two or th- like three, maybe? Three, I think, yeah. Three, um, beauty slash poopy queens, which tells you everything you need to know uh, mm-hmm. about Daphne particularly. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> she was a super talented musician, artist, perfumer, a billion other things I keep mm. forgetting to mention, but um, just human being and also a chronically fully sick gal. You can hear her talk about that in her own words on that episode, which of course now I am very grateful to have done with her. Um, yes, you'll also be able to hear how, how fucking hilarious she oh, she was. Like one of the funniest people I've ever, ever met in my entire life. Like, yeah. Like just... You know when you laugh so hard that not only your stomach hurts, but, like, you feel like every bone in your body is, like, somehow breaking because you're, like, it's – my body's now falling apart because I've laughed too hard. Like, yeah, there's no she, moisture left in my body from crying laughing. She yeah. consistently made me laugh so hard that I thought I would vomit and shit myself yeah. at the same time, which she would have which been she delighted by. Yes. <laughs> she would have loved that. Um, yeah. The queen she, of TMI. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of that episode was about – a fecal transplant that she had yeah uh but uh, our title poopy yes yeah. beauty poopy queens but in a way kind of it getting to that point of being that ridiculous with a lot of the health stuff that she was looking into not ridiculous but ex- let's say experimental mm-hmm. was because Daphne was really 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 sick Um, And she had been for a very, 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 very long time with a lot of different things that sort of weren't going away, weren't getting treated properly and sort of affected a lot of the other things that were wrong with her. So a lot of comorbidities and she was on the waiting list for a number of health treatments, operations. We helped her get a lot of assistance from our completely broken mental health system. And in the end, unfortunately, it it didn't work. And Daphne was in a lot of pain and unfortunately decided to take her own life, which is awful. But it just speaks to how desperate our and broken our system is. I know she was waiting and had been waiting for a number of years for a laparoscopy for her endometriosis. Mm -hmm. As we all know, it takes around seven to 10 years to even get that diagnosed usually. Um, Especially with COVID as well, that a lot of that kind of stuff was elective surgery and had all been pushed back. Yeah, she does discuss that as well. Um, She was waiting to see an endocrinologist and had a number of issues, which I won't discuss all of them, but primarily what made things really hard for her to deal with was having PMDD and it it is in fact PMDD Awareness Month so we'll be talking a lot about that today but regardless of all of that I just want to say that DAF we will miss terribly I'll miss her for the rest of my life and if you want to do something to help or honor her um, you can donate to Support Act which is a service that helps musicians in crisis you can listen to her music which is called Sad um, Simona and Daphne and also Nozu which are a really incredible sort of sexy jungle bastard yeah. child of Brian Ferry 
um, <laughs> act. <laughs> and on the PMDD front, you can donate to the International Association for Premenstrual Disorders, which is called IAPMD. That's IAPMD. And they do a lot of the research, fundraising and support um, for that. So we don't want anyone else to have to suffer in silence with this terrible Absolutely. disease. And if you want to learn more about Daphne, I would highly recommend just going and watching any of the like Nozu performances on YouTube and that kind of stuff because she was just one of those talented musicians that was, she was just like lit up the entire stage. Like she was just absolutely just dynamite and you could not take your eyes off her. So yeah, it's, we're all going to be pretty, pretty devastated for quite a long time. So yeah, Mm. it was... It's been a rough month, but, you know, we're very thankful, like Joe said, that we got that that time with Daphne to discuss everything on the pod and that we got to share, you know, her wisdom and her eloquence and her hilarity with all of you guys. So we're happy that we that we got to do that and that we have that, you know, forever. And hold hold your community close to you and check in on each other because yeah. that's important and pull one out for a real one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think we all know that that you know being chronically ill people we all have experienced however close to us that thing of um another chronically ill person struggling because the system has let them down in one way mm-hmm. or an, or another so make sure you hold hold each other tight and check in with each other and be the best support network that you can for each other because it is it is needed and the system fails us a lot of the time we know that so yeah we're asked to be so much stronger than like a lot of other people are and yeah she just couldn't juggle that anymore and this is something that just happens and we have to be real about it unfortunately yeah Yeah, and I think it's better to be frank about it and I think Daphne would want us to be frank about it because yeah go listen to that episode (laughs) yeah she was not the type of person to fuck around with her words so I think if we sort of tiptoed around the issue she would she would be very upset with us so Mm. yeah we want to uh memorialize her in the way that she uh she she would be appreciative of (laughs) Love you, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) We love you, you grubby, grubby little goblin. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. What else has been happening? Like, there's there's a lot. So let's just yeah. start with what what adventures have you been on, Chloe? Obviously, like that situation was uh, a very a big part of the uh, roller coaster that's been the last month or so. I was in hospital for a little bit because I managed. You! To, I know I managed to uh, get a virus that um, basically presented in a totally different way than what it normally does for most people. And so now basically I have a rash that looks like chicken pox all over my body and I've had it for about a month now and doctors mm. still can't figure out what it is. So now I just look like a child with chicken pox and she's a medical mystery. I am. I'm a quagmire. <laughs> yeah, I'm a you know, enigma wrapped in a mystery you know, wrapped in a riddle. So yeah, like I was fully in hospital getting a biopsy, like a whole chunk of skin taken out of my butt. And then, yeah. (laughs) And now I've got this like, like scar on my butt and the biopsy showed nothing, obviously, because tests Uh, always show nothing. We all know that tale. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I fully had like heads of departments of like the RPA come all come to look at me. Looking at your lab coats. <laughs> yeah, fully looking at me like completely nude with my legs all splayed out in the air, just being like, mmm, fascinating. And I'm like, it is fascinating. Can you please give me more than steroid cream because it's not doing shit. And now I just smell like pinotarsal all the time. Have you do you know what pinotarsal is? <laughs> no. Pinotarsal is like basically like psoriasis, the old treatment back in the day used to be tar. Like they just oh used my to God, slather was... kids with tar. It's so this now pine tar shit? Yeah, and so now it's oh like tar God. stuff. But it smells like pine trees. And so now I constantly smell like pine trees, but it's not a nice smell. Like it's Yeah. Anyway, yeah. it's it's great. So yeah, that's that's me. I'm just itchy all the time now, mm. and I don't leave the house because everyone thinks that I'm about to give them chicken pox or something. So mm. yeah, and um, I also have the Sydney Writers Festival coming up this weekend as well. Oh my god, are you going to have cute chicken skin for that? Uh huh. Sure, I am. Just, <laughs> I yeah, love it. Just me rocking up, like being like, "Hi, here to talk about chronic illness. Look, I've got an actual physical manifestation for once. <laughs> She's not an invisible illness anymore, but she Ooh. doesn't look sick. Oh, yes, she does. Yeah, I know. She looks like she should be in some kind of quarantine, but she's not. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I've got that this weekend. Um, and also it's my 30th birthday this weekend. So Yay! That's, um, yeah, she's finally hitting the uh, the 30s, which is... Uh, so am I. <laughs> yeah. <kidding. laughs> oh, it was many moons ago for some of us, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> my God. Yeah, no, it's... Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's um fascinating. But also, I hate my mm. birthday, so I'm not doing anything to celebrate. And except the, the Sydney Writers Festival. <laughs> yeah, the Writers Festival is the day after my thirtieth birthday, so I don't want to get like dr- drunk anyway because my chronically ill body cannot deal with hangovers after two glasses of wine anymore. So Aww. just uh, gonna be chilling out and watching the um, premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under. What about you? <laughs> How's your uh, month been? Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, well, Big old question. Yeah, I, I've kind of got a flu thing, antibiotics, haven't mm. been dealing well with working constantly. And yeah, I, I finally went and got the dildo cam. Um, dildo cam? Yeah, the, the, the slimy rod jammed up me to see if I've got endometriosis or not. Yeah. What is that? It's pretty is that cute. an endoscopy? No, that's the throat one, an endoscopy. I no? don't know. Why do I look like a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> is there a doctor in the gym? I'm a doctor. <laughs> no, it's, it's the transvaginal doohickey thing. It's ultrasound, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they I just... I prefer dildo cam. Yeah. Dildo cam's better in my opinion. They really wriggled that thing around and, you know, <laughs> does this hurt? Does this hurt? It was in there for a solid, like, 25 minutes at least. But anyway, really? your girl has an endometriosis, so that's nice. Well, congrats for something you. that you probably already knew. I um, did, yes. Yeah. It's one of those things that, like, both of us have been speaking for so for a long time now about how we're 
we're like, we're pretty sure we've both got endo. So yeah, you've done it. You've got that diagnosis. Thanks. Yeah, I know. I've, it's such an achievement. I'm so excited that suddenly, like, maybe they can give me painkillers without looking at me like I'm a drug addict because fibro yeah. is made up disease. They can actually. Yeah, they don't believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, usually they have to cut people open to see if you've got endometriosis. Yeah. Um, but apparently this place I went is really good at finding it and so they don't require that. But I I don't oh, know. I, I'll probably get the old the old scrape out at some point, I suppose. Mm. I don't know. I, I saw you tweet something. Maybe it was in the group. Um, I did tweet and I did – yeah, I did did say a lot about I have, it. I have tweeted. Yes, yeah, I have. Something about Douglas? What is oh, the Douglas yes. thing? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so thankfully it's not on the old bell or anything like that. Hey, right. what did your mum say to you about this podcast while I just – didn't she tell you to stop t- giving people too much information or something? Yeah, my mum's constantly, constantly like, you share quite a lot on this uh, podcast of yours. Is it a good idea to um, overshare this much? And I'm just like, mm. yeah. <laughs> sure why not who cares mm, that horse has already bolted mrs Sargent. you should have told me this many years ago well, she did tell me this many years ago but you know uh, who listens no one no one no anyway one. while they were mm. jamming this rod up up my vagina yeah uh they did find the endometriosis and what is called the pouch of douglas mm. so it's a small area in the female human body, the AFAB body, between mm-hmm. the uterus and the rectum. Like the pouch of a mother kangaroo or a coin purse, it can expand to ac- accommodate growing or multiplying things. What could those be? <laughs> like the pouch of a kangaroo or a coin purse. Mm. Those are two very different mm. things in size and the way mm-hmm. they function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, continue. So basically so it's, it, it's just... Yeah, there's there's just shit in there. I don't yeah. know. It's it's like a void thing. It's it's a void. Right. It's pretty useless, I think, unless you. <laughs> it's, it's an abyss. <laughs> it is an abyss. It it's is. Mary Poppins' bag. <laughs> it is. Who the fuck is Douglas? Fuck you. Yeah. Why does why doesn't it have a name of a woman? This is a bunch of nonsense. I'm yeah. so sick of it. Anyway, I'm so, I got it. So sick of it. It's colonizing our bodies with their male bullshit. Sorry, it's called yeah. the recto-uterine pouch. Okay. Which is kind and of cute, got, isn't it? And yeah. I've got endo so on that. So is it that. just like cysts? Like endo is like when you've got cyst kind of things, isn't it? Or is it different for everyone? I don't know. Oh, okay. I think <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I I read a bare minimum Wikipedia page about the thing I got diagnosed with and then gave up. I think <laughs> um, yeah, no. So it's like it's like Oh, you know what endometriosis is, for God's sake. Hang on, let me read the dictionary definition of it here. So the tissues similar to inside of the uterus grow on other shit. So you can get it, remember, you can get it in your brain even. That's right. A nurse told us, that nurse that called up and told us that. Yeah, um, so it's most commonly like sort of involves your ovaries, fallopian tubes and the it- tissue in your pelvis and that kind of thing. And I've got it on the, oh God, I can't remember what they said. Say it's the rigging that holds up the, the bloody sail on a ship and the sail is my uterus. <laughs> it's the scaffolding inside Yeah, my the body. scaffolding. <laughs> I got it on thank, that too. <laughs> thank God we're not doctors. Can you imagine if we were doctors? That would be terrible. My Pilates teacher the other day was like, because everyone tells me what's wrong with them all the time. So I've got like an illness podcast or whatever. Yeah. 
and I have some degree of um, authority about my persona, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you should have been a doctor. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> you don't know me at all. That would have worked out terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine trying to be even... a doctor? Like, think about how badly we retain information, like how bad our memories are. We'd be like, oh, you've got the um, old uh, thingamabobmajig. Yeah, sorry yeah. to tell you. Uh, the... Uh, Heart attack. You've had a heart attack. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I kind of old... need some more information. Yeah. The old thing my jig. Yeah. So yeah, that's cute. Yeah, yeah I don't know. You. Whatever. I just don't. Yeah. I don't even care anymore. Just, just, put, just take thing. it all out. Take it all yeah. out. The skeleton, yeah. everything. The scaffolding. Take it the down. The scaffolding. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of it. Bloody hate it. Uh, um, okay. Should we get, so should we get in, into a bit of a plague ditch update, seeing as we haven't done a pod in a little while? Yeah, sure. Couple this of, is couple a couple of news stories. This isn't. Uh, look, I've decided to call this plague ditch, uh, mm. and I might make I a like theme it. for it if I can be bothered, which mm. I'll insert here. You look like hell. Yeah, I just got back. This is news related to, but not strictly tied to COVID and whatnot. So what the first story I kind of want to cover is something I've been reading about for a couple of weeks, and it's the inability of our government, well, in general, to give anyone a vaccine, it appears. Mm. But so inter- international listeners, just to let you know, our... The vaccine rollout of our government has been so unbelievably horrendous that somehow America is doing like a thousand times better than us with the vaccine rollout, despite everything. And so that's just happening in general. The rollout is terrible. So obviously marginalised groups, including people with disability, are suffering the most. And Mm. it is not great. Sorry, Joe. continue. Uh, So Australia's former Disability Discrimination Commissioner and disability advocates have condemned the failure to prioritise disability care in the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, saying residents and support staff were blindsided by a lack of information. This week we found out that just 6.5 of disability care residents have been vaccinated in the two months since the rollout began, despite their inclusion in the government's highest priority cohort. Yeah, um, in the hierarchy, the people with disability were supposed to be sort of like aged care residents, like elderly people, dis- mm-hmm. people with disability. And the um, people that work with them, yeah. Yeah, 6.5% have been vaccinated, which is like, mm. what, a couple of thousand people? That's it. Like nothing, nothing. So there's about 6,000 facilities without even a first dose of vaccine. So I can speak to this somewhat. Just from an age care perspective, my parents who are in their 60s, mm. late 50s and 60s, they are age care workers. Yeah. And they have only just gotten their first dose wow. last week. That's um, bizarre. And it was getting to the point where I was looking at getting it privately because they were told, we will vaccinate the residents and then if there's any left over, we can yeah. get some for you. That seems like a dangerous, dangerous system. Considering the outbreaks yeah. in aged care, 
that seems fucked. And so yeah. if, if aged care are the priority over disability care, I cannot imagine how fucking bad it is. Yeah, for sure. It's just I can't get my head around how terrible um, how terrible this rollout has been in general. Even the people that were like, oh, thank God I'm going to be in the first sort of round of people that are getting the, the vaccine because I'm at risk the most. Somehow then they haven't even been delivered any vaccines at all like Mm -hmm. whole homes haven't been delivered any vaccines i just can't get my head around how badly this has gone but yeah labor our opposition um government has accused the liberal government um of having abandoned those in disability care while the greens described the disability care rollout as shameful Mm. which agreed on both counts but holy moly it's bad um, I'd be interested to hear um, from our listeners on the NDIS and listeners with various disability if they have had access to the vaccine yet, how it's gone for them, and mm. also any of the side effects that they have had. I'm really interested to see how, obviously, we are a complete pro-vaccine podcast mm. and anyone that doesn't believe in a vaccine can fuck off. Yeah. Um, you are. This is not the podcast for you. No. I am interested on the different effects that a vaccine has on people with chronic illness and disability yeah, because totally. obvious, like, obviously there hasn't been time to develop any sort of studies or even immediate effects after you just get the vaccine. Um, mm. So I'm really, really, really interested to hear yeah, people's stories, to hear stories around that. Totally. That stat of 6.5% of people have gotten the vaccine so far, like that's just people that are in like in disability homes. care in homes. Yeah. So it's like that doesn't include like people on the NDIS that, you know, live independently. And it also doesn't include the many, many, many Australians that live with disability that have been rejected from the NDIS, which is exactly. so many of us. So that number is just so tiny and it doesn't even reflect the entire population of people with disability in, in Australia. So it's, Yeah, like it's so uh, tiny for the disabled people in care like and that is such a small portion of Mm -hmm. disabled Australians absolutely so this story like whilst being horrendous on the surface just gets more and more horrendous the more you think about it which is just completely deeper into the yeah when you look deeper into how terrible our like disability system is in when you keep The abyss just keeps getting um, deeper. Darker and darker. Deeper and darker and deeper. However, there has been an interesting story this week about people with fibro and um, COVID, which I thought was really weird. This story really, really spun me out. I'm taking this very much with a grain of salt because I just, I'm so sceptical about the amount of research that's been done into just chronic illness in general and fibromyalgia especially so yeah all of this kind of stuff they see it seems like they're using very definitive language when they are always telling us that they know very little about fibromyalgia in general so I, I, I'm I taking find this it, with a grain of salt I find <laughs> this uh, of course but I just thought mm. it was like totally interesting and I find it interesting that this bit of such niche research Oh, suddenly you understand stuff about fibromyalgia, the thing that isn't real when we relate it to COVID. 
Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, let's give a bit of an outline of we're just bitching about it. We okay. Yes. Explain what the story is. Uh, <laughs> there's finally an advantage to living with fibromyalgia, and there were so many already. Oh my god. Mm, the um, benefits. The many benefits. Re- <laughs> researchers from the University of Illinois College of Medicine at Chicago and biomedical firm Epic Genetics have confirmed fibromyalgia patients are much less likely to die from COVID-19 or develop severe complications from it than the general public. Uh, sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, sounds fake, but okay. <laughs> so basically, they go into detail about like how how many fibromyalgia patients tested positive for COVID nineteen antibodies, mm. um, and it was eighty two out of two thousand one hundred and ninety five. So like not a, not a huge, huge study no but like not super tiny either but and only one of those 82 individuals was hospitalized and placed on a ventilator for severe covid-19 infection so mm. there's no covid-19 deaths among the cohort of fibromyalgia patients mm. and this uh, doctor okay. from Epi- epic genetics says that he was concerned that patients with fibromyalgia would be more more susceptible because their immune systems are not as potent in certain aspects. But it was surprising we found out the opposite. It's all, it's all very like definitive language. Like it's very like this is definite, you know. So if you um, if you know anything sort of about what's been in the news about how COVID attacks the system. Um, it's a storm of things called cytokines, which I think cause your system to like overload and just fuck out basically. So it turns out that our it's an immune response. Um, it turns out the fibromyalgia patients' immune systems are deficient in two particular cytokines, IL-6 and IL-8, and those two cytokines just happen to be the same ones that rage out of control during severe COVID-19 infections. So a so-called cytokine storm of IL-6, IL-8, and others has been identified as the culprit in severe COVID-19 infections. COVID-19... So I've got a question about this. Yes. So how is how is it that there's no tests for fibromyalgia, definitive mm. tests for fibromyalgia, and yet somehow they're like, oh, yeah, this is why you have fibromyalgia because you're deficient in these two cytokines. I'm like, so why is this the first time I've ever heard about this? I've never been tested. My cytokines have never been tested. What is this about? <sighs> We are learning, interestingly, that having an inability to overproduce these cytokines, which is what fibromyalgia is all about. What? Mm. (laughs) Whoa. Seems to to make you less susceptible to the worst effects of COVID-19. If you've had this innate deficiency, you're less susceptible to COVID-19. Apparently, they've got the the university. It was done by university, all right? And a company called Epic Genetics, which I'm a little bit more dicey about. But yeah, it's just one of those things that like, I think after you've been chronically ill for such a long time, like seeing a headline like, oh my God, good news about having fibromyalgia. You won't die from COVID. I'm like, "Mm, do not Mm. trust. Do not trust. Like it's immediately like this very cynical response to anything like this. Oh my Lord. Now they're saying this has a fibromyalgia blood test. I don't know about this. This I don't know about this. I reckon I, I you've think just accidentally done a quack watch. watch. Yeah, <laughs> you've accidentally done a quack watch. But it said oh science. Yeah, it was done in a university. We should uh. Google this university to see if it's real. <laughs> we should check Uni- out sources. University of College, University of Illinois College of Medicine at Chicago. Mm, sounds real. So, sounds real. 
<laughs> yeah, this is a I, this is a very strange article. Like cytokines and chemokines. I've seen it's, this. I've never heard these about, words. I've seen this talked about around the place. I'm not saying it's Have real. You? I'm just saying it's interesting. Oh yeah, it's very interesting. I'm like fascinated by it, but I'm also like mm, do not trust. We'll do, a, um, we'll do a follow-up. But in the meantime, if yeah. you have fibromyalgia, it's totally cool to just cruise about without a mask, you know, yeah. make out with lick, whoever you want. Yeah, lick phone booths. Yeah. Just lick, lick, you know, the bar stools of the pub that you're at. Yeah, absolutely. Just fucking go for it. The University of Real Science in Illinois, <laughs> Chicago. In Chicago. <laughs> told, told us it was cool. The, the University of Very Good Science People in Chicago. Yeah. So um yeah, feel free to just mask off, lick yep. everything. You're good. Yep. We're yep. we're good. Yeah, yeah, we're all good. Yeah. And of course we're seeing heaps of people continue to sort of uh a, a sort of pile of articles continuing to mount about the effects of long COVID. Yes. All of that kind of stuff, which has if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, there's a certain percentage of people that have had COVID that demonstrate a lot of chronic uh, illness symptoms after the fact, which can be things like, you know, chronic fatigue, fatigue yeah. fibromyalgia type symptoms, reactive arthritis type of stuff. Chronic headaches as well is a is a big one. It's... The old brain fog, which we have definitely never had. <laughs> yeah, especially not right now. No. <laughs> yeah, so... I've kind of asked members of the community what they've been thinking about the extra sort of attention that long COVID patients have gotten. And it's sort of, in my understanding, split into two camps where I feel like half of people are like, great there'll be more research into these diseases now hopefully we'll get some sort of definitive answers and treatments that's awesome and then the other side is kind of like oh these people think they're so special now because they have it now and i get i I bet you it'll go away and we'll still be stuck here and no one will care again is that like once you've been chronically ill for a certain for a long period of time you just become very cynical about a lot of this kind of stuff which i very much identify with but yeah it is it is one of those things where you kind of like cool, there's going to be, you know, more research and maybe that because all of the symptoms are so similar, maybe that'll benefit our community that have been living with this for so long and completely fucking ignored, basically. But then at the same time, you're just like, or maybe we'll keep being ignored and it will just, all of this focus will just be on long COVID. Oh, yeah, it'll just be long COVID people that have chronic fatigue. It won't be old regular schmegular chronic fatigue people. No, yeah. no, no. They'll just be talking about fibromyalgia um, in terms of like how it relates to yeah. cytokines. Um, <laughs> cytokines. Yeah. Or whatever to do with like COVID. And, mm. you know, me and you got it pre-COVID. So, you know, they'll just chuck us on the on the garbage heap of life, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fucking yeah. same old, same old. Thanks very much. Yeah. Catch us later. You're right. All of the responses to the tweet that you put out was like very 50-50 split between that. It was like, mm. I'm scared we're going to get ignored still and that's going to get all the attention or, you know, people that still have a little bit of hope left and are just like, maybe it could benefit us in some way. Uh, I think so those you might you be recent diagnosis people. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, they haven't gone through the uh, life's ridden, like chronic illnesses, ridden them hard and put them away wet. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe they've just got um, one at the moment. They haven't got their yeah. second or third one. <laughs> the Ooh, look out, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome no, to we jo- the we joke. Club. We joke. No, it's, we um, love you all. It's fine. We love you all. We've got to laugh because otherwise we'll cry, you guys. But, yeah, no, thank you if you did respond to it because it is it is interesting to see how the community feels about this kind of stuff. And it, like we said, it does seem like a real sort of 50-50 split between cynicism and hope. <laughs> And Classic. as always, you can you can send us our thoughts on this on Spoonie Hotline. Record a voice memo into your phone and send it to chronicallyfullysick at gmail.com and we'll play your either wonderful hope or I'm crushing lost. cynicism. I'm on lost the show. in music. I'm lost in music. I'm lost in music. What's our next, what's our next uh, section? Yeah, so jumping in. So as we mentioned when we were talking about our beautiful Daphne before, it is currently PMDD Awareness Month. So before we jump in, again, uh, trigger warning, PMDD includes a lot of uh, mental health effects like depression. And again, there is talk of uh, suicide. So if that's something you don't want to hear about, uh, jump past this segment and come back a little bit later. Before we go into anything I'll give you a little bit of a general overview of uh, what PMDD is because it is one of those things that is severely severely underdiagnosed, um, mm. which happens with a lot of sort of like menstrual related conditions like postpartum a- used to be I think it, it kind of to me it tracks like how that used to be like the baby blues mm. or whatever um, totally. and if you if we think you know stuff like fibro or limes or anything like that crohn's or whatever it's hard to find a diagnosis for that or for people to believe what actually is going on with you i i even feel like pmdd takes this next level of being totally ignored and really people just don't know about it at all like even people that experience pmd or you know assigned female at birth people that you know have had uteruses their entire life like I'd Mm. never heard of it until it affected someone I love so totally and I think it's one of those things so basically like if you google PMDD it stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder Mm. um, and it refers to a group of emotional and physical symptoms that start a week or two before your period so basically Mm. half of every month PM and every single website will say PMDD is similar to premenstrual syndrome PMS But Mm. its symptoms, especially the emotional ones, are more severe, which I think is, like, the understatement of the century. Fucking It's like, I think it's one of those things that, like, because of the general history of hysteria and all of that kind of stuff, if someone Mm. does have PMDD, it so rarely gets diagnosed because so many doctors are just like, oh, you're just being overdramatic. You've just got PMS. Like, calm down. And this poor person is like no, please, like, I don't feel like this is right. You know, it, it is, it, so it just gets completely ignored or brushed off by doctors because they believe it's someone well, being it's take, a bit it's, dramatic. It's taken them so long to believe in how debilitating PMS can be. And this is like... Totally. P- yeah. PMS is like uh, evil twin almost. Absolutely. It's like <coughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Basically, it says uh, PMDD symptoms uh, start within seven to 10 days of the start of your period. So like I said, it's a half of every month. So it's like, that's 
just that's half of your life. Like they, mm. it's so much time that you're experiencing these symptoms. So it has emotional and physical symptoms. Emotional symptoms of uh, emotional and mental symptoms of PMDD can include agitation, nervousness, anger, crying spells, feeling out of control, forgetfulness, loss of interest in activities and relationships, depression, irritability, moodiness, panic attacks, paranoia, sadness, and thoughts of suicide. Physical symptoms of PMDD include acne, back pain, bloating, breast swelling and tenderness, gastrointestinal issues, cramps, Mm. dizziness, headaches, heart palpitations, appetite changes, joint and muscle pain, muscle spasms, painful periods and reduced sex drive. In that there's also really strange kind of things like severe alcohol intolerance, mm. severe weight gain, heaps more joint or muscle pain than I thought. Yeah. There is like, I've, I'm just giving a very, very general overview. Like, yeah. it, you know, it kind of reads the way that a lot of side effects of medication, like labels read, where it's just like, oh, you probably are going to get acne and, you know, mm. panic attacks and be a bit moody. But it's Ooh, like, just a panic attack. It's fine. It's fine. You'll get it's over fine. it. Everything lists PMDD as like PMS, just a bit worse, but it is like debilitating. It, debilitating and it can be so disabling and debilitating and it and it takes up so much time in your life that it is something that is really really difficult to deal with and you know like one of my closest friends has PMDD and stories that she has told me over the years of having it it's just unbelievable how debilitating this condition can be Hmm. so I'm glad that there is a PMDD awareness week because Hmm. It is, it, there needs to be more known. It needs to be better known because, yeah, as we said, so many people just think it's bad PMS and it is 100% not that. It's not. And I'll just say this here, like, I think a lot of assigned female at birth people, I, I feel like, you know, people with uteruses don't know what the base level of normal is. Mm. So I'm going to say this, like, if your period is causing you anything that stops your executive function, i.e. puts you in so much pain that you can't do everyday activities or gives Mm -hmm. you such bad mental side effects that you are debilitated and cannot do everyday activities, then there's a problem. Yeah. That's what the baseline is. Yeah. Yeah. If if it doesn't go away after you go up and go for a, get up and go for a walk or take Nurofen or something yeah then Ponstan or something Ponstan yeah. and if it happens every single month you need to you need to get it checked mm. out and you need to you know maybe force your doctor to do some tests um but yeah it's uh PMDD is a, a really really wild condition and it is one of those things as Joe said that I didn't know existed until someone I loved got diagnosed with it and it is so mm. underdiagnosed. So, yeah, it was a real big shock for me when I found out that me calling in sick to work, you know, once a month because I was so fatigued that I could barely stand up right before my period came and I was in so much pain I could barely move. When I found out that wasn't normal, it was a mm. real shock to me. <laughs> I was mm. like, I feel like anyone with a uterus is taught so little about this kind of stuff that, yeah, our baseline is just all completely up and down and fucked. So <laughs> we have no idea what's going on. Yeah, exactly. So PMDD is a hormonal disorder, an endocrine disorder, and it's seen as an abnormal reaction to normal hormone changes that happen with each menstrual cycle. 
So it can cause a serotonin deficiency, the way that your estrogen and your serotonin interact in your body. They believe, again, there's not that much research done around it. Yeah. Um, it's also something to do, they think, with the brain-derived neurotropic factor, um, which is a protein that ensures the maintenance and survival of neurons. And decreased levels of this protein may contribute to the atrophy of hippocampus that has been observed in depressed patients. So it's actually, they've actually done brain scans on people that have PMDD and they found that their um, brains actually look different from other people's. So that was, that was pretty interesting. So that there's the, the imaging studies show differences in structure and function um, Mm. across the menstrual cycle. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. It can also um, be genetic at a rate of 30 to 80%. And if you have uh, like seasonal affective disorder or ADHD, you may be more susceptible to having PMDD as well for some reason. They don't know why yet. Like from experience, PMDD seems to be one of those conditions that it is, it's diagnosed as like the third diagnosis after you already have diagnosed, yeah. like chronic illness diagnoses. It's a real sort of comorbidity kind of situation. Yeah, so they're about 30 to 70% comorbidity with other mood disorders. And so conversely, these kind of anxiety disorders or mood disorders may put women at risk for later development of it. So it was just when when Daph would talk about having it, it was really just something on top of her other health problems that she just couldn't handle. It sort of made it harder for her to find help for all of the other things that she had going on as well. Which makes sense because it's like, it's so hard managing one chronic illness and having to do that sort of daily admin to manage everything. So when EMDD gets involved, I can't imagine how hard that must be. Yeah, like 10 days out of the month, she would be just hired pretty much um Mm. she found it really dysphoric really anxiety inducing she felt really unattached to her body and i remember her just having to try and plan doing gigs around it and trying to plan her life around it and like when you're trying to get help for other things and then suddenly for 10 days out of the month you're hit with this incredibly debilitating physical and psychological thing you Mm. all the other stuff that you've got going on just gets worse yeah because you're like trying to plan around chronic illness is hard enough as it is when it's such a big chunk out of every month it's like how do you yeah it's uh, I think that was the thing that shocked me about PMDD the most I cannot believe how long a period of time every month this goes on for yeah. And obviously, like every every person with it is different, but mm. for someone that deals with it for ten and it can days get worse. Month, yeah, it get, it's get, gets worse. It is mind blowing to me. Mm. Like anyone that lives with PMDD, like I salute you, mate. Like that is a hectic, hectic thing to deal with, and you're doing great. And I believe in you. Yeah, you're we love excellent. you, baby. So there's not that much in terms of treatment for it as someone that's just been put back on um, the pill. You know, that's, mm. that can really mess with your mental health, Absolutely. extra hormones and stuff. So that might not be a good treatment for you or you might not want to mess around with it. Is that the you most know. common treatment? Like Some of them, the yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. I think so. Um, and like health and lifestyle changes. Classic. Yeah. Yay. Have you tried the Y word? Yeah. Meditation. Yeah. It's because obviously meditation solves everything. But yeah, there's no, also it is. like you can take SSRIs, I think, that have a longer half life, like the ones that stay in your body for longer mm. for half the month to address the issue while it's happening. But again, oh, okay. like 
we know that it can be like a bunch of shifting around to um, totally see what works and what doesn't. So yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's just horrific. And my, my, yeah, my hat goes off to anyone with this, with PMDD, just, just making it and just surviving because it is, it's rough. Yeah, it's rough. it sounds and like a super rough, a rough time. Uh, and I'd love to hear more experiences about PMDD because, like Joe said, we've we've both had a, friends that have it, but like we know that it's one of those um, conditions that everyone's experience is very unique. So we'd love to hear more stories about PMDD and what your experience is like and what your day to day is like. Because yeah, it is something that we didn't really know about until we had loved ones with it and I'm sure mm. plenty of other people are in that boat. So And we'll be doing a lot more around awareness raising around this as well. We've been trying to do it all month and I know at least one person's got a diagnosis of us tweeting and, you know, Instagramming a storm up about it. So talk, talk to people about this kind of stuff. It's really important. And I just want to mention here that Daphne's parents will be starting a sort of like a non-for-profit, more about awareness raising called Daphne's Quest around PMDD and endometriosis and that kind of stuff. Um, It'll be decentralized and online and we will keep listeners updated around that. And we will, be doing our best to support that too obviously absolutely that's mm-hmm. fantastic yeah that's really good to hear so yeah, yeah please send us your stories and we'll, we'll keep you updated on that as well all right now, what are we jumping into next chloe after the difficult couple of weeks i've had you know mm. i just i just want to wrap myself up in one of the many blankets i've got here draped all over my sound equipment <laughs> to stop the echoing <laughs> And I, I, I'd love to like, you know, maybe suck on this, um, what is this, hard seltzer I've got here, this warm, mm. hard seltzer. This warm, hard seltzer and your delicious vaping vape pen. While you read yeah. me another tale yes, from the big book we have that's about the size of the collected works of Shakespeare that says, historically fully sick on the front. Yeah, it's a big, like, leather-bound book like the one in Lord of the Rings. It's it's gorgeous, and we're just reading you little fairy tales so you can uh, keep, like, just roll up in bed and curl up and I'll just stroke your hair while I read you a, a nice little story. It farts when you open it. Very our aesthetic. Mm. Um, so, historically fully sick. I'm really excited about this one because this is a very, like, punk rock situation um, about people with disability just taking matters into their own hands and being like well fuck you if you're not going to help us we'll help our fucking selves that's right today um, i'm going to be talking about ed roberts who was a young disability activist in the 1960s Mm. he was a tenacious person passionate about education, a staunch activist, and just generally someone who was determined to live his life however he damn well pleased. <coughs> Sorry. That's hot. Uh, my beautiful cough. No. no. <laughs> my my uh, hacking cough from smoking <coughs> too much. Yeah. Oh, or your beautiful burp. We're delightful. So, yeah, so doing research for this story, for this historically fully sick, actually reminded me, um, like, some elements of his of Ed Roberts' personality jumped out and reminded me a little of um, Bob Flanagan, who we spoke about in one of our earlier episodes. Um, so if you haven't listened to that one, highly recommend going back and listening to us chat about Bob Flanagan, real badass artist uh, living with cystic fibrosis. 
So Ed Roberts, Ed had polio, which damaged his respiratory muscles severely and he required an iron lung to stay alive. Although he tried plenty of different things, including deep diver techniques to try to spend as much time as possible outside of the iron lung. And getting polio meant that uh, Roberts became paralysed below the neck. Mm. Um, In 1962, he was determined to go to college and he wanted to go to uh, University of California, Berkeley. The university initially turned him down due to his disability, like outright said to him, no, we don't want you because you're disabled and you're in an iron lung. That's um, rude. And administrators told him they wouldn't, <clears throat> they wouldn't even have somewhere for him to live on campus because his iron lung wouldn't fit into a dorm room um, and he had to be in the iron lung while he slept. So I eventually- kind of want one of those while I sleep, to tell you the truth. Yeah, it's they they look really badass as well. They do look like medieval like torture instruments, but kind of you know. steampunk. You like steampunk, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm a very steampunk kind of person. <laughs> Thank you, Joanna. Oh my god. Um <laughs> Um, So eventually he suggested living in the campus hospital inside a patient room that was remade into a living space. So Ed Roberts became the first student with a physical disability to attend Berkeley, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, Like basically from just straight up demanding that they give him a space to live. So obviously 60s and 70s were a time of enormous amount of political change and like protests that changed the world. And Robert's story is one of them. Because he was a wheelchair user, Robert's uh, needed assistance getting around campus and local areas. Because something that we take for granted today didn't actually exist yet. So... Ed Roberts, along with a group of his friends, young college students and disability activists, are responsible for starting the movement to create curb cuts, which are the little Mm. ramps that go down on the sidewalk. So rather than just being like drop down onto the road, it, you know, is that little sort of slope. And we're used to seeing these everywhere, like they're on every sidewalk now. But in the Mm. 60s and 70s, they didn't exist. So, yeah, he's responsible and his group are responsible for creating curb cuts. Badass. Um, yeah, so they obviously allow those who are using anything with wheels to cross the road or get off the sidewalk easily. So at the time, it was just a sudden drop. Um, and in some areas around Berkeley, it was sometimes six inches or more, like, drop from the sidewalk to the road. And so even going for a simple trip around the block was extremely difficult, dangerous, and even impossible for many wheelchair users or people with disability to navigate. So being the era of protest that it was, this new wave of young disabled activists who named themselves the Rolling Quads weren't going to wait around. They demanded, they were insistent, and when no one would listen, they decided that they would no longer be waiting for permission. To this day, stories still circulate about the Rolling Quads riding out at night with attendants and using sledgehammers to bust up curbs and build their own ramps. Oh, which hell forced, yeah. forced the city into action. Which, it reminds me of, like, all of those stories about, like, on 60 Minutes when people are like, oh, like, we've been complaining to the council about this pothole in our road for, like, 10 years and they didn't do anything and then so we decided to spray paint a dick on it and they just immediately fixed it. It's like, (laughs) you just force them to do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they forced the city into action just by going out and smashing the shit out of sidewalks to create their own ramps so the council basically had to fix it. Mm. Um. So they demanded curb cuts on all main roads. They attempted plenty of bureaucratic methods first to make this change, but the resistance to widespread implementation from the government officials was unsurprisingly fierce. 
Ed, uh, Ed Roberts said, when we first talked to legislators about the issue, they told us, curb cuts, why do you need curb cuts? We never see people with disabilities out on the street. Who is going oh, to I use them? Oh, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> oh and, he's, and he said, he's like, they didn't understand that their reasoning was circular. Like, you don't see disabled people out on the street because they can't with the streets being the way Ugh. they are. But if you make things accessible, you will see more disabled people on the street because they can access them. Um, so Joke he's like, is in they, government now. Joke is in government then, baby. Oh, nothing changes. No. Nah. Um, yeah, so it's like full chicken and the egg problem. And they, it's so weird to think that like people still have that exact same mindset about accessible design today. You know that meme um, that's like, I don't understand why disabled parking isn't from like nine till five. Like what are disabled people doing out at night anyway? And the response is like, oh, we're disabled, Daniel. We're not werewolves. <laughs> it's like, why do these people think that there's all of these like weird parameters? Like just make things accessible and then everything's cool. Like yeah. <laughs> we'll be able to do it. Um, so yeah, anyway, the rolling quads were absolutely not having this. So rather than keep fighting the man with applications and politely asking, they just decided they would go make the curb cuts themselves. Um, Stories say this ragtag group of activists would go out in the middle of the night with sledgehammers, smash up the sidewalks. Sometimes they'd smash smash it all up just to force government action and just leave a pile of rubble. Um, And then other times they'd just smash the edge and create their own DIY curb cuts um, or build their own curb cut ramps using bags of concrete that they brought along with them. Mm. which is super fucking badass. Hell yeah. Um, everyone knows that, like, especially, you know, any government, like, but especially local governments are hopeless with doing any sort of, like, real-world minor changes that affect, you know, their constituents, um, even if it's deeply affected their people they're supposed to be helping. Um, so, yeah, the rolling cords just kind of went, okay, well, look, we'll smash it up, and even if we do a shit job with creating a ramp, they'll, they have to fix it now because it's a public space. So in less than a decade, the Rolling Quad's message and methods have been heard, had been heard in other cities around the US. In Denver in 1980, disability activists staged a protest demanding curb cuts, blocking traffic until city officials gave in. Demonstrators in wheelchairs whacked at concrete curbs with sledgehammers to get their point across. So Ed Roberts and the Rolling Quad set worldwide accessibility change in motion. The passing of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990 was a landmark event due to its unprecedented reach. It mandated access and accommodation to all public spaces and made curb cuts the commonplace feature they are in the US today. And this measure of accessibility spread across the world, including here. It was just, it was just so punk rock, like, you know, he was the first person to be, um, with disability to be accepted into Berkeley because he just would not take no for an answer. And then right. when they wouldn't make the campus accessible to him, he's just like, cool, I'm just gonna smash the shit out of your campus then. Like, mm. it's just, what a fucking badass, like. Yeah, so impressed, so impressed by it. Mm, it just reminds yeah. me of the type of activism associated with like um, the recent change, changes to the NDIS where people got out the front of ministers' offices and NDIS offices and just like crawled out of their wheelchairs, mm. just crawled totally. along the ground, that kind of completely like just like completely badass activism is amazing yeah yeah it's just like putting it all on the line kind of thing and just really shoving it in the faces of people that really don't give a shit you know Mm. like it's yeah I was stoked when I found that story I was like this is the most punk rock like disability activism that I've come across in a long time we love you Ed Roberts we love instead we love instead the rolling quads Woo! woo 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 all righty 
Shall we uh, hit some Spoonie Hotline, Joe? Oh, yes. So we have like a number of Spoonie Hotlines that have come through mm. in the time. We've been away. Yes, um, please keep sending apologies. those. Yeah, sorry. We'll get through them eventually. But this, the first one we will do this week is from Mickey. And this will be another Ando story. Um, Mickey was really inspired by uh, Lena calling up and telling us about her experience with Ando. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mickey's decided to send us their experience with Endo. So I'll bring it up. Hello, hello. My name is Mickey and I'm calling from Arkansas, which is in the United States. Thank you guys for listening to the Spoonie Hotline. I hope that it's interesting. I'll try and keep it short and sweet, but I probably won't be able to because of who I am as a person. So let's just jump right in. So I have endometriosis and a whole host of other things that go along with that. Um, And so I'll just give you a little backstory real quick. Um, I probably started having symptoms when I was 17 or 18. Mentioned it to doctors. They brushed it off. So I brushed it off as well. Um, It got progressively worse until I was actually living in Australia. I was living in Sydney on a working holiday. Uh, Things kind of came to a head there. And one of the people that I knew... Um, that I was living with in Australia said that I should go see a gynecologist and get it checked out. And so I did. And by some miracle, I was connected with this wonderful doctor who actually listened to me. And within five minutes of hearing my symptoms, she said, I think that you probably have endometriosis from everything you're telling me. And I think you should go home and find a specialist and figure out what's going on. And that's exactly what I did. So I came home early. I I, uh, cut my working holiday just a bit short to come home. Come to find out, um, I've got several aunts that actually have endometriosis and I had never even heard about it before. I had kind of brushed off my symptoms until they got to where I just couldn't ignore them. And then once I had a name to put to it, it, things came out of the woodwork and my family was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. That would have been good to know seven years ago, but you know, <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty. So I got my surgery almost as soon as I got back here and they confirmed the diagnosis. So we're going to fast forward, you know, probably 10 years-ish. So in uh, 2019, I had my sweet little baby um, and she is wonderful and perfect and lovely and my husband's wonderful and perfect and lovely and takes great care of me Um, but I can confirm that having a baby is definitely not a cure for endometriosis because what followed has sent me down a kind of different path than I thought that I would end up in Uh, after living with endometriosis for 10 plus years you know I've gotten pretty good at dealing with the symptoms most people didn't even know that I was sick. Um, I would take care of myself and did pretty well. But in postpartum life, you know, I had her in late 2019, followed directly by a pandemic. So self-care kind of went out the window. I started having um, really bad GI symptoms and terrible, terrible heartburn to the point where my baby was sleeping through the night and I wasn't. So I went to go see my endo specialist and she was really concerned about that. Um, And in the last surgery that I had, 
um, they had found endometriosis wrapped all around my intestines. So we figured that might be a culprit, but they sent me to a GI specialist just in case. Um, so over the last six months, I've had two endoscopies and a colonoscopy trying to figure out what's going on. The first one showed that I had um, ulcers that had developed probably as a result of the years and years and years of anti-inflammatories and ibuprofen that I've been taking. Um, I also have uh, lots of, um, what's the word? God, my brain just went blank. Orthopedic issues. I've had two knee surgeries and a hip surgery. So, I mean, I was taking ibuprofen like it was candy. I also happen to be allergic to most opi opioids, so I can't take codeine or anything like that. So, I mean, I was popping that stuff like it was candy. And my body finally said, anew, we can't do that anymore. So, I started taking a medication to help my gut heal. And as a result of that, I'm apparently just very sensitive to all medications because that changed the lining of my gut in such a way that I started not being able to absorb iron. So then my iron completely tanked and I was just exhausted, fatigued every day, had trouble getting up. So this is all in the middle of this pandemic. I work for a small business and there's only four employees. So we were struggling trying to keep the business going and I was overworking myself. I also have, you know, a nine month old at this point. So I'm chasing her around trying to be super mom and just not really taking care of myself. I'm trying to make sure that everybody is happy and everybody is healthy and safe in this pandemic world. And I kind of lost myself in all of that. So finally, um, after that colonoscopy in November, my iron really just tanked after that. They couldn't find anything wrong with my GI tract, but when my iron was so low that they thought it was bleeding from somewhere, and I just said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going back to my endo specialist. I trust him. He's wonderful. He's been taking care of me for 10 years, and I'm going to trust his judgment moving forward. So I went to see him at the end of 2020 and he said, let's get in there. Let's see what's going on with your endo. I know you only had surgery two years ago, but you've had a baby since then. You've had all these GI issues and we need to see what's going on. So I said, all right, let's do it. So they got me scheduled for January and the day of my pre-op appointment, I got diagnosed with COVID. So did not have surgery in January, needless to say. And my whole family got it. We had a pretty mild case overall, but COVID on top of chronic illness is not something that I would wish upon anyone. It was absolutely exhausting. And, and I'm still not sure that I'm 100% recovered from it all these months later. So we rescheduled it for February. And then in February, the morning of my surgery came and we woke up and there had been a freak snowstorm. There were 13 inches of snow on the ground, so there was no way we were getting to the hospital. So we rescheduled again and I finally got my surgery on March 3rd, um, sorry, March 1st. So that surgery is actually my fourth exploratory laparoscopy. 
Um, all of them have been with the same doctor. Um, so he got in there. The surgery was super quick because he knew exactly what he was looking for. They went in. They took my left ovary because that has been the source in every one of my surgeries. All of the endometriosis has been around that ovary and then spreading out from there. So they went in. They took that ovary out. They said, girl, bye, get out of here. Nobody liked you anyway. And I was thrilled when I woke up and that's what had happened um, because there was actually a cyst on my right ovary that they wanted to look at and there was a chance they'd have to take my right ovary instead of my left and I was just terrified that that would happen because I knew that this pain was coming from that left ovary and it needed to go um, so thank goodness we had the outcome we did so right now I'm in week three of recovery I'm feeling pretty good I'm feeling um, a bit stronger every day. I've been taking my daughter on walks around the neighborhood and every day it gets a little bit easier. Um, so I've stopped taking all my other medications. So my gut is starting to heal a little bit. Um, I just ordered a food sensitivity test, which I'm really excited about trying to decrease the inflammation so that the surgery can really stick and I can maybe get a factory reset and try and get this under control because mama's got a mom. I gotta, <laughs> you know, she, my baby needs me, my husband needs me, my work needs me, and I gotta get myself back to healthy. And it has become very clear to me with that, with the exception of that one doctor who's been wonderful, um, everybody else just kind of wants to go, yeah, you have endometriosis, you're in pain, get over it, move on. Um, so it's taken me a while to get out of that mindset and figure out, okay, how do I take my health into my own hands and figure out how to move forward? Because these doctors don't live in my body. These doctors don't know what it feels like day to day, no matter how much I tell them. You know, my GI specialist was not very helpful. He wanted to do scopes and tests and this and that, but he didn't really seem that interested in exploring you know, how do we make you feel better when I can't physically see the problem that's going on? So I'm hopeful. I'm the kind of person who's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So I'm really hoping that I don't have a follow-up to this voice memo in a few months. It's like, oh, that was horrible. Whoops. Oh, well, back to square one. But we're trying we're doing everything that we can and I really appreciate you guys podcasts hearing other people's stories and stuff has been really really helpful in getting through this tough time and helping me figure out what's worth my energy and what's not and how to take care of myself and how to say no when I need to say no to things and how to trust my body and not listen to quack science and you know, do what I need to do to try and get my body as strong as it can be. I know it'll never be a hundred percent and I'm fine with that. You know, it is what it is, but there's no reason that I can't try to do something and that's where we are. So thanks for listening. Sorry, this was like a billion minutes long, but I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful day. Oh my day. God. Bye. I love her. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey, I am obsessed with you. You that was a roller coaster of a um a Spoonie hotline for They like, all are. They, 
<laughs> they, they all journey. are. Yeah. But just that like whole bit of like, so I woke up the day of my surgery and then this happened and then I got COVID and then there was a snowstorm. I was like, oh my God, Mickey, what a, what did you do to someone in a previous life? Like, this mm. is, But you're hilarious, Mickey, and it sounds like you're doing absolutely everything and it's so cool to hear that you've got a doctor that is like actually really diligent in taking care of you. Yeah, Yeah. it's really cool to hear. It's really cool to hear any good doctor story from chronically ill people because it's so rare. And you you just um, have so much going on and... Mm. You know, as as you're saying, you know, mum's got a mum. Yeah, <laughs> and all mums that, certainly but... do be mumming. <laughs> Mickey, you you just sound like such a fierce advocate for yourself and your own health. And there's yeah. so much strength in um your voice and your story, and it's really admirable, man. Like, yeah, it can get so exhausting, and you 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 there, and you just keep pushing. Like, it's yeah. it's really awesome. And Joe and I were so saying hard. as well, it's really cool to um. Uh, hear stories about the uh, like postpartum situation with endo and how it's the whole myth of oh just have a baby and then your You'll endometriosis will be cured like joe and i were listening to your message we both like yelped at you we were being like, like yes yeah <laughs> go in mickey pop off yes pregnancy doesn't cure endo yes yeah. <laughs> yes yeah thank you so much for that that was and also you getting brain fog halfway through and just being like oh i totally forgot what i was saying just Such huge a mood. mood huge mood um, um i know thank you, you said- so much I know you said you didn't want to call back with like a follow-up message, but can I actually encourage you to, um, we want to know how you're doing. And you're a legend. Yeah, and you're a legend. And we liked hearing those Arkansas birds in the background too. That was pretty cute. Yeah, that was very cute. I enjoyed the burp noises. Burp. Burp. Um, our next story is from Helio. They are going through a couple of different issues by the sounds of it. Um, so we'll be playing Helio's message now. Hey pals, um, it's Helio here. It's ringing in from good old Earlwood, New South Wales. Um, might be a little bit windy. I'm just laying in the sun in my backyard, smoking a joint, easing some of my woes. And I've been wanting to call in and say hi to you for a little while now um, because I only recently discovered your podcast and your group um, on Facebook um, via someone who recommended it to me um, at a time when I was trying to really reach out into the chronically ill community and find resources and connection and I guess yeah just support and understanding I'm um going through a prolonged flare of my endometriosis at the moment and I've just been waitlisted for my second surgery um yeah, I feel like this past year has just been a fucking whirlwind for my um, body, mind, uh, just being so ill and so much pain for so many reasons. And it's been so isolating um, and 
just listening to your podcast has like brought me a lot of joy and made me feel like connected to other people who just have a lot of a shit time because <laughs> um, I feel like the immediate people in my life are not really experiencing the same stuff as I am um, I got my um, autism diagnosis about five days ago um, I'm about to turn 28 and I've been in the mental health system since I was 15. Previously been diagnosed with borderline personality, um, bipolar spectrum, ADHD. And this autism diagnosis is like an incredibly um, powerful thing to have finally um, figured out. Um, so I'm kind of just going through a really big time of transformation and me and my partner are moving to Melbourne in a few months, which I'm really, really excited about because I just feel like I've been crushed by Sydney. Um, but yeah, I've also had endometriosis for about 12 years and I've just systematically been so belittled, humiliated, undermined. Um, invalidated, misdiagnosed, um, and continuously denied pain relief by all of, pretty much all of the medical professionals um, that have been in my life and my journey. Um, and yeah, it's just incredibly isolating and exhausting. It's exhausting to deal with chronic pain, um, like just so much of your life and like last year especially I just um, my body just completely broke down as soon as the lockdown kind of began like I just feel like all the trauma that's stored in my body and everything that's ever been wrong with my body just erupted over this period of months of just like chronic 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 back pain and nerve pain and just not sleeping for nights and nights on end like I think there was like seven days I just didn't sleep and I just went fucking nuts um and yeah people just didn't believe me and what I was going through like I think family has been a really big sore point for me in just like constantly having to try and validate myself and you know like that my experience is in fact real and is in fact just a daily challenge um so I feel like I'm really going through this time of reclaiming my own agency over my own story and a big part of that is moving away a big part of that is finally getting diagnosed and not having to defend myself um, a big part of that is um, properly coming out to my family as well um, as being trans non-binary and kind of for the first time claiming space around that and it's like I'm putting it all in a letter basically saying like this is who I am this is what it means this is how it feels this is why this is why I've been 
like kind of closeted I mean I came out as queer when I was 14 but closeted in the sense that like I have never educated or corrected or really communicated about my gender to my family and it's just been so so challenging but I'm really excited to be empowering myself more and more and like I have a really really supportive partner and I don't know if I would have survived last year without them um so I'm really grateful for like the next chapter um yeah I really wanted to just like drop you pals a line and um share with you the um the joy that has been listening um to you guys just rant about shit and also learning a lot more about fibromyalgia which has been really helpful for me because um I know someone who has fibro but I I've struggled to understand like exactly what kind of it it is and it's about and it's like I guess that's the nature of just all these kind of chronic illnesses being really under understood like misunderstood and underdiagnosed um yeah we kind of have to learn about all these things ourselves which is endlessly joyful um anyway this has been seven and a half minutes now so i'm just gonna cut it off because i could literally talk for hours on what i would love to talk about but um thanks so much for providing the space and a community and my entry point into connecting more so yeah <laughs> bye no thank you helio yeah that w- that was a really great message and I hear the amount of pain in your voice and I can really, whilst I can't identify with your diagnoses, I can identify with your pain and frustration and I just Mm. want to tell you that I can also hear a strength in your voice as well and I just want to tell you to like fucking hang in there. Yeah. You've got it. Absolutely. Yeah. I can really relate to a lot a lot of what you said as well about the difficulty of uh, coming out to your family and having to explain and the, the difficulties of trying to do all of that when you're still figuring things out yourself and what it means and how it feels and all of that kind of stuff. It, it, it is incredibly, incredibly tough. And when you've got chronic illness on top of that as well, it is so so difficult um so solidarity it is it's not easy and it you've done incredible and also i fully understand how you feel about um sydney crushing you and you needing to get out that's <laughs> a huge mood huge mood another um, huge mood is like smoking a giant blunt and calling us which i love as well <laughs> oh yeah love and stan we love and stan it is unbelievably great you like you've had so much to figure out and manage and it is a fucking lot and lockdown was a lot too totally yeah for people that needed to like seek care and get diagnosis and get you know as we heard from the last call from mickey um Mm. get you know operations and this kind of thing as well but i just really Mm. think it's um worth mentioning too that just because lockdown isn't is over and covid has receded in australia it doesn't mean that the 
effects, the psychological effects have this of this has receded, despite everyone yeah. else pretending to the fucking contrary. A lot yeah. of the time, and it I doesn't have, just go away. It doesn't go away, and a lot of the yeah. time, I have found that a lot of those mental effects are just playing, have just played leapfrog, and a lot of people mm. are experiencing those now as well. Yeah. So please, please, please continue to take care of yourself. I'm glad that you're moving and you've got a new start going on and you're figuring out all these things about yourself and you know really iterating those to people around you and I think that's really awesome and I am also tremendously glad you're a part of our community and these calls always lift us up as well so thanks so much yeah thank you so much for everything that you said about like learning so much from the pod we always are amazed when people learn anything from (laughs) the pod because we always think of it as just us hanging out and making each other do screamy witch cackles so um yeah it's nice to hear that um it helps people and um makes them like realize that there is a massive community of us and we are we may all be in different places but we are strong as fuck and it sounds like you're doing so many things to look after yourself Helio, and it, that's awesome that's like the first step in the right direction and you're doing great and you're going to be absolutely fine so solidarity and, and thank even you if so you're much. not fine like that's chill yeah totally yeah Yeah. but yeah you're doing great you're doing everything right and we're really proud of you so thank you so much for calling yeah and if you're out there and you're like suffering I guarantee that there is someone in our group or someone listening that Mm. is suffering along with you and has what you have or wants to talk to you so Mm. give us a call send us a a voice memo or even an email Mm -hmm. is fine whatever Chronically yep. fully sick at gmail.com or join the group. It can sometimes be a little haphazard and weird, sure, whatever. We're not going to yep. mod it, you know. Oh, they all are. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They um, all are. Come, come in. Please don't feel like you have to be alone because you aren't. Yeah, you're definitely not alone. There is so, so many of us and um, I'm so glad that our little uh, Scream Laughy podcast is able to uh, bring some of us together. Um, yeah, and please don't like, our listen own... to anything we say as like fact. <laughs> mm. We have no medical knowledge. We are just two silly, ridiculous women that... <laughs> oh my God, did you hear my bone just crack? Oh my God. Yeah, it did. Your bone cracked straight into the microphone there. Okay. Jesus. Um, yeah. So uh, Joe's dead now. Um, so I guess I'm going to wrap up the podcast. Her body is physically snapped in half. <laughs> I'm so sick. <laughs> and you're choking. My God. All right. Hopefully oh we'll God. be back soon. Not like in like two months or whatever. Yeah. We'll make the, <laughs> if we go on another hiatus, we'll make it shorter next time. But um, yes, thank you for your patience with us. We really do appreciate it. We're um, still alive despite you guys believing the contrary. We're still here. <laughs> we are still here. The podcast is still going. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And it is as chaotic as ever. Wee! Wee! We'll see you for um, episode Sweet 16, hopefully yes. extremely soon. Yeah. Bye! Bye! Bye.